it's very frustrating because how do you articulate all of this in an easy to read way? Because it's like, mm-hmm. there's so many things that are being touched upon, so many things being violated. And then how do you show it, right? It's that Brandolini's law where, you know, you get this piece of this lie or this misinformation and it takes, you know, a hundred times more effort to try to explain why this is wrong, you know, and they just say something stupid and then it gets repeated and then you get green pieces change the code and <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's a lot of work and it's a this has been my life for a couple of weeks now is trying to figure out how to articulate all of this and do it in a scientifically rigorous way when really all I wanted to do was probably write like a one page <laughs> response <laughs> to begin with. Hey Mario, welcome back to BitCorner. I think you're the second person that repeated the podcast. So welcome back. Oh, thank you. Gracias. Hola. <laughs> uh, you have practiced your Spanish. Wow. <laughs> it's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> no. But do you ask for advice to your mom or what? <laughs> uh, no. I haven't had <laughs> Okay, so actually, uh, Happy Thanksgiving, Kai, because we're uh, we're recording this episode on Thanksgiving. So, uh, do you have any plans for do this Thursday <laughs> with your family? I'm going do you celebrate to it? Yeah, I'm going to go home. Oh, look, I lost my own. And I'm going to oh, go shoot. home with my family <laughs> and do, get some work done from there. And but yeah, just it's nice to, to have an excuse to be home. So, yeah. How do you celebrate it? Do you do you get this typical the classic question about tell me about what the, that Bitcoin thing that you work on? <laughs> no, everybody in my family knows what I'm doing. We have we don't have a big dinner. It's usually just myself, my mom, my dad, my siblings. If they show up. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Well, yeah. here in here in Europe, uh, people don't celebrate it. Actually, I think it's more like American stuff. But my family in El Salvador, uh, mm-hmm. we do celebrate it because I have I had an uncle that is my mom, you know, uh, brother. So, and uh, he lived in the United States, and actually, uh, his entire family, uh, his wife and uh, my my cousins, born and raised there. So they celebrated. So every time they they came to El Salvador and celebrated with us. So it was kind of a thing for us as well. So it's, it's nice. Yeah, it's, yeah, nice. it's a nice holiday. Just yeah. don't think too deeply about the origins. <laughs> Just yeah. enjoy the holiday to be thankful for your family. And then I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, I took uh, last last uh, weekend, I took my, my friends to do this uh, Friendsgiving. I took them to, to eat pupusas and they love it. <laughs> Ooh, that's nice. Who's yeah. us for Thanksgiving? Turkey <laughs> <was> us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we, don't, we don't have turkey here, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. Turkey pupusas. I think those would be good. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yes. Do you okay. try pupusas? I, I know that I asked you this question, but I don't remember your, your answer. What about pupusas? Yeah. I like them. Are you asking me if uh-huh. I like them? Oh, uh-huh. yeah, no, I love pupusas. Okay. Yeah, I get them at the farmer's market in oh. California. Yeah, yeah. There's a stand that makes pupusas and um, aguas fresca. That's so cool. I didn't know aguas about that. Fresca. Yeah, I like the. They have like these these big jugs and eat different flavors of fresh juice. Yeah, oh, that's so good. That's a good. Hey, by the way, uh, people love in in Twitter. Uh, well, X, whatever you want to call it, guys. <laughs> the clip that I released that you explain it. You explain really well the. How Bitcoin, you know, helps build renewables. I think people love that. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that get played quite a bit, and I'm always surprised. Like, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he said, it must been must have been good because a lot of people are retweeting this. So thanks for sharing that. Because <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I I don't know half the things I say sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I actually that's why I uh, I contact you later because I. As yeah, I was reading about the UN papers, and I was I was so upset about that. And I was like, 
I do remember that I talked about about this with Margot about Bitcoin mining's impact, and it's not what they what they released. So I'm just going to share the clip. You know, <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That paper. No, I mean, it took me a long time to figure out what they were doing because they were not very clear, and then they would they conflated different years. You know, they would talk about this particular range of years, which was 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they weren't clear that they actually combined the energy use from both of those years. So if you're just looking at the figures and not paying attention, you'd probably think, oh, that was over one like 12 month period, but actually it was over 24 months. So the number is really high. It's like, uh, they said like 174 terawatt hours, but that was across two years. But, you know, it's a little misleading because, because they didn't clarify. So so that makes people think, oh, my gosh, look look at all the energy they use in one year, even though even then it's like contextualizing it. It's not that much compared to other industries. But, of course, they don't do that. They, can, they do the thing where they love to compare it toward, to households or the number of homes you could electrify with that amount of electricity, also leaving off the fact that you can't electrify homes in Africa <laughs> with the electricity that is outside of that, con that continent or a country in that region, unless you're gridless, which is using Bitcoin mining to provide, to monetize hydropower base loads on these mini grids. But that's a whole other story and uh, you know provides a very different narrative for Bitcoin. And my feeling is that these authors actually have no idea that that there, there's these kinds of things happening in the mining industry. But I mean, we can get into the details of all the problems of this study. But yeah, it's it was a, a very misleading study uh, when it when you get into really reading it. And it's unfortunate because it's trying to make recommendations to policymakers and stakeholders and the recommendations are based off of very misleading findings so actually yeah uh to give you some context guys in case that uh, you haven't read it yet so just in the execute summary i was i was laughing because the the second the second phrase that they that they said it was like bitcoin as the most popular cryptocurrency what <laughs> <laughs> has worrying environmental effects on on climate, water, and land. And as you mentioned, there are some. I, I'm gonna read just a, a bit of everything that they uh, mentioned in the execute summary. And one of them was like uh, a 400 a 400 percent of Bitcoin price increases from 20 to 20, 20, 1 to 22, as as you mentioned, resulting in 140 percent growth in electricity use. And again, as uh, they mentioned, like the top uh, Bitcoin mining countries, uh, there were China, US, Kazakhstan, Russia, Malaysia, Canada, uh, Germany, Iran, Ireland, and, and Singapore, right? So yeah, those are some of the things that uh, they mentioned. And they also said that these top 10 Bitcoin mining countries together are responsible for 90% of the global carbon footprint of Bitcoin. So, yeah, I think they are misleading as well. This right. Yeah, the problem with what they did there in those figures where they broke down by the top 10, you know, they used the Cambridge data, which is totally fine. I mean, Cambridge has very clear limitations in the model, but it's still the best model that we have for the network's energy use. It's a good start and they're, they're, the people who are maintaining it and developing it are doing it with their best, with the best intentions. You know, they really, to, they continue to make improvements, but they use data that was from an earlier period and Cambridge has not had a chance to update their geographic map of mm -hmm. the distribution of the mining hash rate. And, you know, another issue is that the, their distribution is based off of IP addresses from mining pools that have agreed to participate in this modeling. So they don't have, they have anywhere from like, I think like 32 to 37% of the hash rate captured in that, in, in that mining map. So it's not, 
you know, it's not, it's a significant amount, but we don't know if it's really a representative amount. But the main point is that they used this older data. It hasn't been updated in, I think, since January of 2022. So that means that the network has changed quite a bit, but Cambridge's model is not representing that. So when they did this study, they didn't mention that this data that they got doesn't represent the distribution of the hash rate as it is today. So they said things like Kazakhstan has, you know, a huge amount of hash rate, but based off of what we know about the political environment in Kazakhstan, it's very likely they have a very significant amount of the hash rate now, which really completely changes the on-grid energy mix of Bitcoin mining. And, you know, they didn't mention either that this is only on like on-grid estimates. It's they, Cambridge doesn't look at off-grid. It's very hard to make an off-grid estimate. You really need a lot. You need to get a lot of buying from Bitcoin miners to say, yeah, we are off-grid. It's really hard to estimate that, but they don't mention that either. So that's what I mean. Like they completed the years because they took this older data set, didn't explain why they chose that data set. I know why they did because I went and replicated their study. And the reason is because of the limitations on the mining map, because it's outdated. And the mining map, I think, only goes partway through 2019. So you really, if you want a solid two years, you have no choice but to take 2020 and 2021. But they don't mention that. And then they start making conclusions about the state of the network as if the, this is the network now and don't mention again that this is 2020 and 2021. So yes, yeah, it's, it's just like, it's just really, really bad. <laughs> it's really yeah. bad in that sense. You know, it's like the, like they, the equation that they used do you want to talk about anything else before I get into this? <laughs> I promise. I, <have laughs> I, I promise. Prob prob but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, I told you, I, I read it and uh, I kind of uh, made uh, my question, but I, I, I promise you that I, I was going to give you a blank space to talk about it. I just, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have addressed some, some questions, but yeah, you, you can, you can continue because actually my, my next question, it was that exactly what you're talking about, that you replicated the, the, the Cambridge, uh, Bitcoin electricity conception. And I was going to ask you about what insights, uh, did you gain from replicating that? And, and yeah, well, I was, I was going in that way. So you can continue. <laughs> okay. Great. I can answer those too. Right. So I, I decided to replicate the study. You know, originally, all I wanted to do was write a simple response letter or you know, response through BPI that we could publish. And then I wanted I think, to uh, hold on, sorry, sorry for interrupting you, but I think that one thing that maybe people will, will be interested about is uh, how do you find this, uh, this uh, how do you came across with the, with the paper in the first place? <laughs> I like, oh, how do we find it, the UN paper? Yeah. Troy sent it to me, I think. Ah, look. <laughs> I, I, somebody else found it. I don't know. I think somebody sent it to me or I got tagged on it and was like, what is this? <laughs> ah, that's... Um... Okay, yeah. continue. Sorry. <laughs> People who are out there watching for publications. I, I have my own, like, uh, on Google Scholar that mm -hmm. pops up and it'll send me a list of publications. But yeah, other people, they find them faster than I do. So then I get tagged like, okay, here's another crappy one. Ah, that's how, and, that's how. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I came across because of you actually. <laughs> that's how. Yeah. Yeah, I've been tweeting okay. a lot about it. But yeah, so, you know, we found Let's this one study. It's a brand new study came out a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, initially I was just want to do a summary response point out the most like most annoying uh, aspects of it and then uh, the more i looked at the paper the more i thought what is going on here this is really off and i don't understand what they're doing and so i thought well the only way i'm going to understand is if i try to reproduce their experiment so i did and you know the the equation that at least as, as far as I think it is, it's the only equation that makes sense as far as I can tell, was, you know, there's nothing really wrong with that equation. It's 
a very simple approach. It's a, uh, you know, it's a top-down approach using Cambridge's data, which is basically taking a percent. You know, if you look at the mining map on, and actually, maybe I could do a screen share. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me <laughs> let me get see if I can. By sheer coincidence. Hey, Juan here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Just a quick break. This podcast is possible thanks to my partners, and I'm very picky with who I work with. So let's talk about them. First, Blockstream. Blockstream, the forefront of Bitcoin innovation, has something special for you. Get ready to supercharge your Bitcoin experience with a 10% discount on their incredible products and services. Whether you are into secure Bitcoin wallets, advanced mining solutions, or seamless satellite network access, Blockstream delivers excellency. And here's the kicker. Just use promo code BITCORNERPODCAST, all capitals, all together, when you check out and you instantly get 10% off. Don't wait, head over to Blockstream.com now to grab this exclusive Bitcoin boosting deal. Blockstream, pioneering the future of Bitcoin, and it's just a discount caught away. Enjoy your Bitcoin journey with Blockstream. Now, let's talk about BitBlockBoom. I know you are all about Bitcoin, and so am I. That's why I'm excited to partner with BitBlockBoom, the top Bitcoin conference. Join me and other Bitcoin enthusiasts to deep dive into the future of Bitcoin. Plus, use promo code BitConnorHODL for an exclusive 10% discount on your tickets. Reserve your spot now at BitBlockBoom.com and I'll see you there. Introducing the BitBox O2 Bitcoin Only Edition, your ultimate Bitcoin wallet. With a laser focus on security, this wallet is designed for one thing only, Bitcoin. Its limited framework means fewer vulnerabilities providing you with top-notch protection. The secure chips ensure that this wallet will always be Bitcoin only, no resets, no other coins. It's a commitment to your Bitcoin security. Unlock the full potential of your Bitcoin with the Bitbox O2. Join the Bitcoin revolution with the best in security and innovation. A little longer than a few minutes later. Right, so... I have to remember take what two. Take. <laughs> take take one hundred. <laughs> take one hundred. Yeah. More moments later. Yeah. So I was saying, the equation that they use to begin with is not necessarily there's not necessarily anything horribly incorrect about it. It's a very simplified uh, calculation for understanding the distribution of energy use using the Cambridge model. And there's a lot of ways you could have done it really wrong. And they, it seems to me that they at least understood to take the, the monthly total energy use and not the estimated annualized energy use that gets uh, generated every day on the website. And then, so they then went to the mining map and on the mining map, when you look at it and you hover over and you like, you'll click, click on a country and it like the United States and it'll tell you as of December 21st, the average monthly hash rate share was 37.84%, right? So you can take that number 37.84%, then take the total energy use for the month of December in the year 2021 for the network, which you can get from Cambridge as well. And then you multiply that by the percentage. So you, let's say the monthly energy consumption for the entire network was estimated to be eight terawatt hours for December, 2021. Mm -hmm. You take that, multiply that by 37.84%. And that is their estimate for the amount of energy use that came from Bitcoin miners located in the United States. So that's, fundamentally what they did and that in and of itself there's really nothing wrong with that calculation mm -hmm. at face value right there are a lot of assumptions baked into that calculation that come out of the model that they don't address in their paper which is unfortunate one of them i think it has to do with the distribution of the machines globally mm -hmm. and i think that depending where you're located you, you may have a much more energy efficient operation than let's say, you know, you, I mean, it's really hard to know because we have never even tried to estimate this, but let's just say for the sake of, of the conversation, 
let's just say that miners in Kazakhstan are going to be using old machines. So mm -hmm. their energy efficiency is going to be not as good as, let's say, a miner in the United States who might be only using S19, XP, Pro, whatevers. And they're going to be super energy efficient. And if I'm and if there you have a hundred megawatt facility in Kazakhstan that's using old machines, and you have a hundred megawatt facility in the United States using brand new machines, your energy use is going to be a lot less in the United States than in Kazakhstan. In this yeah. hypothetical world, I'm not saying that this is actually what's happening, we, we because we don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of how the there is an assumption built into this that may not be correct because it's basically assuming that. Everywhere around the world, the efficiency of that facility, that mining facility, is equal. So, so that's what they did. They did this calculation. Okay. And then they went and they found these environmental factors. And, and that was for carbon emissions, water, and land. Yeah. <laughs> and then these factors are either like, you know, area of land per energy unit of energy, volume of water per unit of energy, and excuse me, uh, like, like mass of carbon, CO2 per unit of energy. So then you just multiply the country's share that you got from Cambridge by these emissions and land and water use factors. And then that's supposed to give you an estimate of the water uh, energy and land footprints of or carbon footprints of bitcoin mining so but there's like there's a lot of problems in that in, in in the selection of these factors as well and that's because the authors claim that they were basing their study and i think this is really to me where the study goes wrong really wrong aside from the fact that like i said they conflate the years and they make recommendations based off of outdated uh just distribution of data and they don't give any of the limitations of the results and the model the cambridge model itself right but i think what is even really really bad is the choice of these footprints these factors and how they decided to use them to claim that Bitcoin mining was responsible for these because these factors came from a couple, two other papers and the authors mentioned them in their, in their study. And they say like, well, yeah, we built off of this paper by or Orbringer at mm -hmm. all and Bristic at all. And <laughs> go and you read these papers. I had a little bit of an issue with the Orbringer paper because they, but they didn't even go as far as these authors in the UN paper did because the, the, the Obringer paper, they were looking at the internet and they were, they were trying to figure out what's the environmental footprint of the internet and how has that changed over COVID when people were working from home. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and so what they were doing was looking at a national scale and then using national um, grid emissions and energy use to then make these judgments. And that's actually not an, not such an unreasonable thing to do if you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm just really trying to understand the, the whole national thing. So, uh, you know, taking a national average may not be such a, a big deal. And, but then, they also made policy recommendations and we're talking about like, oh, you know, this is really bad. Like all, all these people being at home and video streaming and doing Zoom, it's going to increase their water footprint and land footprint. And then they made recommendations saying like, you know, when you're on Zoom, turn off your video. Oh, or when you're watching um, a movie on YouTube or Netflix, put it on standard definition because that'll reduce your water footprint by X percent. And there's a problem there because then you go back to the Ristic paper where they were, where the UN study got its um, its factors for these land and water footprints, and where the Avenger paper got their factors. Not all of them, but a good portion of them that paper was looking at 
how do we select the best energy generators to meet EU goals for decarbonizing the grid? Mm-hmm. So what that paper was trying to do was come up with a methodology and a score, like one simple score that you could use to compare seemingly very different types of generation. Like how do I compare nuclear to offshore wind to coal to natural gas to burning wood, right? Like how do you compare? Like how do you, how can you give an assessment that says this one all around is going to be your best choice? And And those authors were really great in the sense that they made it clear what the limitations were of their study. And they also made it clear, like, you know, our score could change depending on the factors that you think are are important. So so these are really important things to point out that that seem to have gone lost down, down the line as you get to the UN study. But these were really to evaluate generation and say, like, okay. Uh, well, nuclear, you know, has a water footprint like this, has a land footprint like this, has an emissions footprint like that. And it makes sense because it's on, you know, you're citing a, a nuclear plant and it's going to might need some water to keep it cool, depending on how it's built. It's going to use up some land, right? Because you've got to build the facility, you got to build that power plant. And it's going to have some emissions because you have to uh, they're called embodied emissions. It's like the concrete that you need to build it. You know, what, what does it take to transport the uranium? You know, all these things will go into those life cycle embodied emission calculations to give it that emission score, right? So that's what that was the original concept behind this. Mm-hmm. But then it became about putting blame on the end user and on the one hand, you know, we have to be really careful about this because, right, carbon accounting is sort of us, you know, it's in this unique area where it's like about you as the end user trying to do your best to reduce emissions and be aware mm-hmm. of your emission footprint to um, improve your operation. But I think what gets lost too is that there's two ways to do that. And, you know, we can talk about this, you know, separately, but it's not just about being on the best, most clean energy grid either. There is also the question of energy efficiency. But so we have to be careful. Can you like you have to ask yourself a question when you do this? Is it practical to say, if I use less energy, am I actually reducing my my water footprint am i actually reducing my land footprint am i actually reducing my emissions footprint i think mm-hmm. with the the land and water it's not as clear because if that generator is already built and it's still going to be running and there will be an, another off taker for that power you're not actually reducing your land and water I mean, you are reducing your your personal land water footprint, I guess you could say, because you can say, oh, I'm not responsible for that anymore. But it's actually still there. You know, yeah. you're not going to tear down a hydro plant, you know, because you stopped watching Netflix in high definition. You know, that yeah. was the opposite thing, right? And so, you know, that's the kind of standard that is was being applied to Bitcoin. Like, oh, he's so... Bitcoin uses a lot of hydropower. Probably half of the network is hydro. Makes a lot of sense, right? It's clean energy in terms of carbon emissions. And uh, it's a constant baseload. So miners don't have to worry about curtailing. And there's a lot of excess power. So, you know, it's great. It's a great, it's a win for Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin miners need cheap power. Okay. If Bitcoin miners stop using that water, and and let's let's just say, okay, hydro plants have a very bad water footprint to begin with. They use a lot of water. Done. We accept that. And they're controversial too. Like big reservoirs that are built are controversial because of their environmental impact. This is known. And the reality is we're probably not going to see a lot of these like major dams built anymore because of these issues. You know, they affect the wildlife uh, and uh, they affect 
downstream of these dams, you know, there, there's, there's a lot, there, there's, there can be political conflicts that come out around these mega dams. You know, there's not nothing trivial about this, but it, let's say we have this existing dam, right? And it's got extra excess power. Bitcoin miners use it. This study comes out, recommends, okay, Bitcoin miners, you shouldn't be using it because now your network's water footprint is horrible. Okay, so Bitcoin miners, stop using this hydro plant that had excess power and it was super cheap. Did the hydro plant reduce its water footprint? No, it didn't. It's still there. The water's still in the dam. It's still being released. It's still going, you know, out in these outflows. It's and running through turbines. You know, it's the damage is already there. And what is the alternative to dismantle the hydro plant? But the hydro plant was serving a primary purpose of providing electricity to the community in that region and it not to Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin miners didn't bring the hydro plant online and removing the Bitcoin miners cannot take the hydro plant offline, destroy it, bring it back to its original ecosystem in an instant. And I think that is, is the biggest issue with the study. It's the second half, which is this environmental footprint thing, because it overlooks how Bitcoin actually works, which is it's generally running on in areas where there's excess power. And you know, we have some insight in this one because we have seen where Bitcoin miners have been kicked out. You know, we have seen that in parts of the US where Bitcoin miners were kicked out of certain counties. We've seen that in other countries where Bitcoin miners have been kicked out. China, Kazakhstan, right? Mm There was this huge uh, emergency, you know, uh, strain on the electrical grid. They imposed a really in, uh, serious tax, energy tax on the miners there, which basically killed the industry. Yeah. And they they did it because they thought, whether it was true or not, they felt that Bitcoin miners were straining the grid. So that grid cannot support them. So Bitcoin miners are not going to go there. It's too expensive now. And they're going to go somewhere else where the power is cheap. And it's, that's just going to be where uh, the grid can support extra gen, uh, extra load, you know? And so it just really misses this really important point about Bitcoin mining and how the this, while it's great to, to try to figure out where we can improve, right? And, and where, how we can build and develop our industries, our technology in a way that it is in more unison with the environment. It's an entirely other thing to set these standards that are unrealistic and that even if you meet them, you're, you may actually be doing something worse for the environment because let's say all of a sudden you say, oh, if Bitcoin miners, you can't use hydro anymore. Where are they going to go? What are the other existing base loads, right? That will be cheap. It's yeah. going to be fossil fuel most likely. Yeah. And now you're creating something called carbon leakage, emissions leakage, which means that, well, you got rid of them in your area, or you clean your hands of these miners, but now you increase emissions elsewhere. And that is a problem because climate change is a global issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not like I reduce my emissions in a bubble. If the emissions increase elsewhere, I, I still did a good thing. No, you did a bad yeah. thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, that's that's something that gets t- totally left out of, of this kind of analysis. And it's just it's very frustrating because how do you articulate all of this in an easy to read way? Because it's like yeah. there's so many things that are being touched upon, so many things being violated. And then how do you show it? Right. It's that Brandolini's law where, it's, you know, you get this piece of this lie or this misinformation and it takes you know a hundred times more effort to try to explain why this is wrong you know and they just say yeah. something stupid and then it gets repeated and then you get green pieces change the code and <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare it's a lot of work and that, so this has been my life for a couple of weeks now is trying to figure out how to articulate all of this and do it in a scientifically rigorous way when really all I wanted to do was probably write like a one page <laughs> response <laughs> to begin yeah. with. Yeah, and how important is it, right, to to actually do 
to be accurate and reliable on data because you're doing, I mean, these papers are for policymakers. So somehow it will, it will be in fact, because those are the people that are making choices for, in the case of EU, literally the EU, right? <laughs> so, yeah, actually I was reading something that I'm not sure it's, uh, well, actually I want to, to know your, your thoughts about it. They some in uh, in that point in in uh, point some point of the the paper they talk also about the there there's a connection between the Bitcoin price and the energy consumption so how those factors are interconnected so especially oh the, yeah yeah they the, claim that that it's like very obvious and I remember making a note about this I wonder if I can find. <laughs> They, they claim like the revenue when the revenue is greater than cost that means there will be significant growth in electricity consumption which is not necessarily true you know it it, it depends on the hash rate and the difficulty that's mm-hmm. right that can be and, and for can like be an under what scenarios is the revenue always going to be greater than the cost right mm-hmm. as best as we understand Bitcoin mining is a very competitive and near perfect market, near perfect market competition. So they're often being pushed to the margins of of revenue where you end up just breaking even unless you have set up yourself in a way where you end up mining for free because you have a secondary revenue source like with demand response or like the way Riot is set up you know, that's, or you're selling your excess heat, right? But not, of course, none of that is taken into consideration as paper, but, you know, there's ways that you can set yourself up, but not everybody's going to be in that same situation. So not things are equal, right? It might, I mean, like a riot basically can almost run free, mm-hmm. earn Bitcoin for free because of their energy contracts. Well, that's, the revenue is greater than the cost, but if you're operating, you know, on the landfill, you are not going to have that same luxury for the most part. And you have very high capital expenses initially uh, with a landfill operation. So you might actually be as a landfill miner competing against grit, uh, Riot in in a bear market, in a very tight bear market, you might be feeling the squeeze. It really depends on how efficient your operation is, how well you you understand how to mine Bitcoin, right? So you, not everyone on the network may be at a positive revenue. It really depends. So they don't, you know, there's just like a lot of nuances and things that need to be studied before you can make claims like that in and but of course they make all sorts of claims but yeah yeah, there was something like that about uh like the bitcoin price and energy consumption and i was looking at i was looking at the hash rate distribution though the hash rate over time yeah last night actually and i was comparing it to the cambridge data Mm-hmm. And I found this region of time where the energy consumption was kind of flat. Meanwhile, the hash rate was growing, which I think was really interesting because I've been thinking that there has to be a period of time when old miners are being replaced with new miners. So you're increasing your energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. And then and that would then increase the hash rate. But the hash rate uh, didn't, that meant that at, for that period of time, even though the hash rate grew, the energy use didn't grow. And during that period of time, the Bitcoin price was pretty suppressed, I believe. So that wasn't, I think that in that time period, there was a decoupling of price, hash rate, and energy use. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's, these are like, very interesting details that are missed, but only because the way people approach Bitcoin mining is to take these very superficial positions 
and to treat it uh treat it like I would almost say with like academic disrespect because they're not willing to go deep enough to understand how Bitcoin mining works, but they still want to make lots of conclusions and think that their research is uh, making a massive contribution when it's mm -hmm. not. It's actually shows how how immature the research is on Bitcoin. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like, if you actually took the time and were serious, you would think twice about publishing something like this. And it and it also shows that the peer review is really lacking. And I was reading a book, I've been reading a book recently uh, by Jonathan Kumi, which is like about how to how to use numbers. How, like it's called Turning Numbers into Knowledge, Mastering the Art of Problem Solving. And in there, he has a, a a short section on peer review and the peer review process. And one of the comments he made was that when there is a crisis in an, an area of study, peer review is not reliable because until that crisis mm. is resolved. And I would say that this whole area of study on Bitcoin's energy use is in a state of crisis because the peer review is often very faulty because the peer reviewers are also not equipped to properly evaluate these papers because they themselves don't understand Bitcoin. They mm -hmm. don't understand how it works and there's nobody doing peer review or at least probably rarely somebody doing peer review who has at least some background to, to fairly judge these papers. And honestly, I don't think it's that hard and let me know if I'm if I'm just ranting too much and totally saying stuff that doesn't make any sense because no, I have no. really spent the last three weeks just thinking about this. So I have a lot of. I also wanted to give you a, a space to you know to, <laughs> to release everything. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, like it's not that hard. I think like get some competent people from the data center industry who have done solid energy analysis of data centers. And I think that you would be able to weed out a lot of these bad papers, but I don't know why they don't turn to the data center industry because I've been reading a lot of papers now on that end. And when I read them, I learn so much about how to do the assessment of Bitcoin's energy use and modeling in general, how to do it the right way. And it's just there, it's all there for somebody to read it and nobody's doing it. And uh, I guess I have to try to do it myself, <laughs> but it's, Actually, it's a lot of work. And when I think about it and when I start talking about it, like I was trying to explain to my advisor the problems with this paper yesterday. Mm -hmm. And he's like asking me, you know, well, what about the equation? Like, is it just like a bad equation? Like, and I'm trying to tell him, no, it's not. But on the end, like this equation is really not the most important part of this. And and then I start saying like, well, I mean, you could do X, Y, and Z possibly, but it's also really difficult to do that because you have to collect more data. And then I start realizing like, oh my gosh, this is like at least five years of work if you really wanted to bring. Whoa. Yeah, it's like a probably a decade's worth of work to bring the Bitcoin research bitcoin energy environmental research or like this one paper calls it blockchain energy sciences so let's just say like to bring blockchain energy sciences up to scale probably going to take a decade of solid work of working with the industry gaining the industry's trust collecting that data creating a repository a central repository that is publicly available and with the buy-in from the industry to be willing to participate and doing it in a way that is transparent and fair both to the public and to the industry to protect their ip and confidentiality you know that's a lot of work that's a lot mm. of relationship building it's something that i'm trying to do now with one of the one study that i'm doing for uh, bpi and also for my thesis um, collecting load profile data from Bitcoin miners. And mm -hmm. it's not easy. It's a lot of work and you don't want to lose their trust because if you, if you do something that they asked you not to do, they're never going to share data with you again. 
And then it's going to be even harder for somebody else to gain their trust, their trust to collect data because they're going to say, well, this other researcher claimed they were going to be fair and they weren't. Why should I trust you? So it's a lot of work. It's a, it's very delicate work. And it's like one step at a time, right? You got to do one thing right. Then say like, yeah. look, ha- happy. We, I did what I said. You know, I didn't break my promise. Everybody's happy. Now I'm back. I would like some more data. You know, <laughs> so it's a it's yeah. a slow process, and it's even harder, I think, for Bitcoin because it's such a decentralized network. But those are these these are the baby steps, and I think really the challenge is trying to get policymakers to understand that this that these papers that are published and that they're using are really immature and that the studies are really immature and often wrong and that they need to hold back on making decisions based off of these studies. So, you know, that's the challenge. The good news is that other people are paying attention in academia and are saying the same things that I'm saying that Troy Cross says that a lot of Bitcoiners complain about who know how Bitcoin mining works. Like they're starting to say it and they're saying it in a rigorous academic way. You know, there's now, I would say two solid papers that do this. And one of them was released at, um, on Friday and mm-hmm. is just a mind blowing 80 pages that just goes through and really lays out all the problems and really says that this, you know, blockchain energy sciences is just like a really immature uh, area of study. And it's not at the level that you would expect mm-hmm. for scientific research right now. So, so now we have something like that. We have this other paper that came out a few years ago. And these are the kind of papers that we need to get to policymakers too, and maybe like summarize them so that they're easy for them to read so that they understand you know, it's not just me, it's not just Margo, it's not just Troy, you know, we come across, we can, you know, we run the risk of uh, coming across as biased because we also, you know, do like Bitcoin, you know, we have to be honest that we see a lot of potential, which is why we're so willing to, you know, put in so much effort into doing this kind of work and often with very little pay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's like, not like we're getting paid $5 million, like Greenpeace. We're really not. Uh, we're, we, we, you know, I would love that. That'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> loans. But, you know, we do it because we think that Bitcoin has a lot of potential, but to the outsider, you know, you can easily say like, yeah, well, why would I trust you? You, you're biased. You hold Bitcoin, whatever you're, you're blinded by your biases. And so to have these other papers come out that say exactly what we're saying is, is worth billions of dollars. I would say, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't achieve that. Yeah. So, um, uh, like I, I can't, I, I won't have the same effect. All I can do is, you know, just like do the good grunt work research and, and get those papers out there. But having that kind of paper adds validity, credibility to the work that I do too. So yeah, it's great to see that other people are coming around and seeing how ridiculous some of these papers are. And we just need to get policymakers to see these other papers, these review papers so that they can understand, okay, let's take a step back. Let's not get too worked up by this. Yes, the environmentalists are concerns. Good that they're concerns. Always good. You know, we need somebody worrying about the planet, of course, but we need to be cautious not to make a mistake here by destroying an, a young industry that may not be as bad as people are claiming it is. So, I think that. Yeah. No, that that I ju- I just think that. Uh, Seeing the big picture here, it's the before making any any decisions about uh, you know if if I were a policymaker, I I just thinking that first, <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, they the first needs to read this this paper, but as well, first they need to understand Bitcoin right before making any any decisions. Then read this research, but I think there's a huge gap of education and especially because of the mixing of uh, the crypto industry, because it's not, uh, you know, 
crypto is one thing, Bitcoin it's separate. And uh, the the way that um, how Bitcoin works because of the proof of work and everything that is applied, uh, there's I don't know. There's so much thing because now that I am hearing from you that because it's all interconnected, especially with binding and hash rates. So I think they they first need to I don't know maybe like to do a bigger research about how Bitcoin actually works, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of learning, but I think the most important thing for them is to just understand that. There's still a lot of research that has to be done before they can make any solid conclusions one mm -hmm. way or another, I think. And I mean, I think, you know, we intuitively understand how the network works. And so it seems a little more obvious to us the direction that the energy use will go and where Bitcoin miners will end up. You know, they'll probably be more vertically integrated into the energy industry. You'll see uh, a lot of off-grid mining. And it's, you know, the industry is going to change and it's going to continue to mature into something very different from what it started out as, you know. And this, I think right now is is a, is a unique phase as well that Bitcoin mining will not be in 10 years. It won't look like this, you know. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep that in mind and, but, and we have to make sure policy, policymakers understand that, like, uh, so, you know, so they don't make a mistake and make things worse you know we want them to not make things worse so at least let let it run its course or help make it better but not not make it worse yeah. so yeah and uh now that you replicated uh the this model my question is like even when you replicated that uh how can I address this question? Like, do you actually, if, um, could you do some recommendation based on that or not? Like real recommendation or not? And what you replicated or, or as you mentioned, still, because I don't know if you replicated with new information or just with the information that they, they just had. So I, I contacted Cambridge and got their old data because they made a really big update to their model in August of this year, August, uh -huh. 2023. Uh -huh. And they, uh, so the update was on the machines. They updated their list and they have higher efficiency machines. So overall the energy use is now uh, much lower than what they were originally estimating as a result uh -huh. of that. And uh, so, but the paper, as far as I can tell, was using the old data because it was first submitted like in May or June of this year. Mm -hmm. So that was before the update. So I asked them to please give me your older data. So they did. So I, I got Cambridge's data directly from them. So I know those numbers are correct. And was in. Uh, I spoke. I you know had quite a few email correspondence with their research lead on the project and asked him a lot of questions to try to understand what was going on. Ultimately, what I found was that my numbers didn't match the paper's numbers. Surprise. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know why. Uh, I'm, I, I mean, it's kind of curious because the, they also, you know, they include Singapore. But uh -huh. if you download the actual spreadsheet from Cambridge for the map distribution, Singapore is included in, uh, is grouped with other smaller hash rate share countries in a, in a category called other. So like other includes, let's say like 30 countries that just don't have a, a high, uh, significant amount of Bitcoin mining. Okay. So when I first downloaded their data, I was like, what? There's no Singapore here. How did they get that? They, and, and then I emailed Cambridge and they sent me a second private spreadsheet that shows all of the countries. And they asked me not to share it publicly, at least without their permission. So I don't, I don't think that they also asked Cambridge for that. I think they must have probably just like, maybe they wrote a script and it just grabbed all of the percentages from the website at that time. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't, uh, that's, that's the only thing I can think of that they could have done to, in order to get that. But 
but I still don't know why the numbers don't match. And I, I had a friend, I, I gave them all the data that I got from Cambridge and I told them, this is the equation, calculate it. And I didn't share my code with them. They did it entirely on their own. And in fact, they did it like very differently using different libraries and, mm. uh, and their numbers matched mine. So yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, I think they're, for some reason, their geographic distribution is different from mine for some reason. But in terms of like making recommendations, I mean, there's really no recommendations that can be made based off That's of the approach that they took because it's outdated. The map is outdated. So you can't say much about it until you get new data on the distribution. And even then it's an estimate. You don't really know you know, how representative this particular percentage of all the mining pools is, right? It's like, it's less than 40% of all the mining pools of all the hash rate. So we don't know if, you know, we think, I think personally, I do think it's fairly representative, but you need to do like more of an, we have to figure out how to do a better, like an actual statistical analysis to try to understand, you know, how confident we can be in that representation. And I, I think it's, it's hard. It, it's, it's a challenging undertaking. So, but still like, it's just outdated. Let's just assume it's representative of the entire network. It's still old. Kazakhstan mm -hmm. is not going to show up as more than 1% most likely in the hash rate share right now on that map. And we're probably going to see a greater share in South America because a lot of miners are mining on hydro there now. And we're, we might see maybe a little bit of an uptick on the African continent because we know that there has been increased interest there in Bitcoin mining. And even in my start, country, they are going to start uh, mining with volcanoes. In El Salvador, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah, there's the volcano energy mining pool <laughs> that's happening there. You what know, do you think about that? Well, I'll, I'll ask you later about that. Finish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the hash rate has increased quite a bit in the U.S. as well. There's still China, but, you know, it's just, it's going to look very different. So until we get an update on that, you really can't make any recommendations. And it's my hope. I'm hope what I would love to have happen is get Cambridge to agree to share that updated information with me mm -hmm. so that I can put it in a paper and mm -hmm. then get it published maybe by you know as you know however long as this takes it'll hopefully it would hopefully line up when they finally with when they finally update the website you know that's that's my hope and I'm gonna be speaking with, their research person next week and going to pitch the idea to them to let me do that because it sounds like they have all the data already. It's just that they have not had time to update the website because they've been focused on a few other things. I think like with Ethereum, because they also get Ethereum and there's been a lot of stuff going on there. And I think that's been a priority. So they need to make time to update the website, but yeah, I would love to. I would love to make a, a, you know, an updated statement at least on the state of the network in and have that published. But we need, we need the data. So yeah, you can really right now, this paper is really irrelevant in the sense of making reasonable recommendations just because the data is so old. Okay, so hopefully you can you can get access to those data. <laughs> So you can yeah. finally release your, <laughs> yeah, that will be yeah. so good. So yeah, we're going to start wrapping up because <laughs> there's an hour, yeah. but, and I don't want to take you much of your time. I know that you're really busy, but uh, well, I, I already asked you about the, uh, make you the question about the, the volcano energy in El Salvador. So just what are your thoughts about it? <laughs> Have you made a little bit of research about it or not yet? I haven't really researched it too much. I, I I saw the announcement and I know Gerson Martinez is part of it. He's a pretty cool yeah. guy, but yeah. I don't really have a lot of details. I know they partnered with Luxor. 
I'm not really sure how they're operating or how they're planning to operate the mining pool. You should ask Gerson. I mean, I can put you in touch well. with him. Really? He's, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, he's very friendly and he knows a lot about mining and he's working on the mining pool now. I forgot what his title is supposed to be. At least I saw. Hopefully he still is. <laughs> and uh, I bet he could he could give you a, a, a really good synopsis or you know in-depth conversation about what they're trying to do and another question that i have is that um, now that we discussed all about this and all that it implies you know how what is your recommendation recommendation or what can you tell to people that want to be practically engaged with this kind of research um uh, and the, just the public to foster a more informed dialogue about bitcoin and the environment because you know there's a lot of misconception and every year as you mentioned there's a campaign <laughs> to make a really school of satoshi <laughs> whatsoever nonsense but uh, yeah yeah any advice i think one is support the people who are doing this work like bpi bitcoin policy institute financial support goes a long way because you know Troy and I really don't make a lot of money doing this. And it's not that we're like asking to be rich, but it's really, really not much money. <laughs> and a lot of stuff we do is for free. You know, we don't get paid, but you have to pay people so that they can stay in the house and pay their bills, you know, in order to be able to do this. Cause it's a, it is a full-time job doing this exactly. as a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So it's not, It's it's not like something you just do on the weekend for two hours and it's done. You know, I think a lot of people really underestimate the amount of hours that go into doing really good research. They think it's it's nothing more than the cost of the publication, but it's really hundreds of hours of work that go into this, thousands of hours sometimes. And you know, you have you can have like teams of people. Sometimes you see a publication and there's like 10, 15 people as authors, you know, science is not, it's not trivial work. It's really hard and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. So supporting people who are doing the work is really, really helpful to get this done and to get the educative materials out there to the public. The other thing I think is also people, if you want to volunteer in any way, like to help out or just you know, look up these papers. And if you feel like you could write a short, simple summary that would help somebody understand it, you know, that that is also really helpful because we really do need a way to translate the academic literature for the general public and do it in a way that is not biased as well. I think that's really important. The more Bitcoiners educate themselves about this stuff, I think the better we will be uh, in terms of dealing with FUD because like, if you can just turn to a paper and say, well, look at this review paper, everything you're saying is based off of these two research papers that were basically outright debunked and said were totally unreliable in these other papers that were published and peer reviewed. You know, mm -hmm. so you have to fight peer review with peer review, I guess, at this level, you know, yeah. in order to start getting people to say, okay, maybe, maybe my assumptions are wrong because I'm basing my beliefs on broken models. And I, I think that's just going to be one of the things that we have to do is to tell those people like your models are wrong. And here, here, read this paper. It's 80 pages. <laughs> It tells you exactly <laughs> what models are wrong. <laughs> you know, so Yeah, it's good. The more data we have, the better, the, the easier it will be. And But of course, you know, people who just don't like Bitcoin, don't think it has any social value, will find a new reason to not like it. So we have to also remember that or be aware of that. Like once, let's say, all the environmental FUD is dealt with, there will be new FUD to hate Bitcoin about, you know, like new things to hate Bitcoin. And and the, and we're gonna have to fight the too, you know. It, it can it's just can be uh, never ending. Uh, so, but yeah, I think 
you know, just volunteering, finding a way to contribute is really helpful. That's what I tell people. It's like, what are you good at? Figure out what you're good at and then just do that for Bitcoin. And I've seen people do just that. And that's what I did. That's how I ended up here. And I, but I've seen people like, oh, okay, well, you're a good writer. You like writing. And now I know someone who writes mag, uh, you know, articles for Forbes, you know, or they're working for another policy group or, you know, it's just, if you really, if you have the time and you have some skills that you want to donate to the Bitcoin effort, you should do it. Really, there's no gatekeepers. You just, just go ahead and do it and people will appreciate it. Like you, Um, I mean, you have, you've got this podcast, you've got a Spanish language podcast, and that's really important because a lot of the content that's created around Bitcoin is in English primarily. Mm-hmm. And we, in the global South, you know, and South America, Latin America are really important places to reach with Bitcoin, you know, because the there's been a lot of issues with corrupt governments and inflation and uh, people need Bitcoin to be able to protect themselves. And uh, and I think what you're doing is great in that regard by having a Spanish language podcast about Bitcoin. Thanks. So, yeah. yeah. No, thanks. And I also, uh, besides thank you, because thank you very much for, for your words, but I also want to thank Carl Sagan, because I know that you, you became a scientist because of him, right? <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Carl Sagan. <laughs> Thank so you, Carl Sagan. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do you know that I became? I I never I I have never told this story in public, but do you know that uh, when I was starting my my career, I didn't well when I was in college, I didn't know what to to study if engineering or um, or something related with maths. So I had I have a cousin that is an engineer, and I asked him for advice, and he told me about the, what everything imply, implies about engineering. So I got something in that, but what really inspired me, you know who really inspired me? <laughs> Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> 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 so yeah, when, when I was seeing everything that they, they do and, and, and Leonard was like, okay, I want to do that. Of course, I don't do anything at all about what they do, <laughs> but it's fun. The career is fun. So yeah, thank you, Sheldon. That's cool. Thank you, Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> For making yeah. science and engineering fun and accessible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, Mike, Margo, I'll let you go. Thank you for spending your time to sharing your thoughts. I know that everyone was expecting because about about this because on Twitter, everyone replies every time that you share a new update about your research. So first, uh, good luck on your thesis. And second of all, I hopefully that you can get more data so you can release something uh, uh, in the near future. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thank you. I, I will have something soon, I think. <laughs> Thanks okay. a lot. Thanks for having me on, Juan. Okay. Thank you so much. Guys, see you next week. Ciao. <laughs> And happy Ciao. Thanksgiving. <laughs>